All right, welcome to another podcast of Inside the Athlete's Mind. My name is David Struco. I'm a professor in communication at Hiram College. And as always, with me is Andrew White, professor of psychology and the coordinator of the sport management program at Hiram College. Andrew, how are you? Doing all right. How are you, Dave? Awesome. Awesome. Well, sad news this week, and of course, I've made it known to everybody on social media and anyone who knows me, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. It's sad to see the passing of Don Shula. Uh, grew up in Ohio and, you know, had his roots in Ohio, played for the Browns and all that, and legendary 33-season career, 347 wins, all-time NFL winningest coach. I mean, just the stats are amazing. Average 10 wins a season, only two losing seasons in 33 years. And I see the same adjectives used over and over to describe Don. Disciplined, tough, detail-oriented. I've read books about Don Shula that said he would get up and go to mass every morning before practice. And there's a lot of descriptions and questions about what makes a great coach. And I'm not sure there's a DNA or a blueprint for a great coach, but are there common traits that make great coaches? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess one little note, I'm not a Dolphins fan, don't follow them nearly as much, but <laughs> his 347 wins, they were also in a time when the NFL had a shorter season, if I remember right. So Correct. add that to the list of accolades there. Uh, in terms of making a great coach it's just so variable um i mean you can compare shula to other greats uh i don't know you start naming them uh, phil jackson uh john wooden it doesn't really matter uh they all are but it's, it's all going to be related to the fit in terms of the situation and, and the organization they're a part of and the people on the team as well. Uh, you've got to find a way to have all of the pieces fit really well. And Shula was in the perfect spot for what I've been reading about him as an individual and as a coach. So uh, he was the one to make decisions. It wasn't a whole lot of conversation and making decisions and he was very firm with those decisions and typically older so more mature male athletes uh, at high levels of competition they prefer that type of decision-making style add that into the fact that it's a team sport where there's a lot of interaction and it's a big team and his decision-making style fits even better within that context uh People at that level also tend to prefer, and really across all levels, leaders who have high-level integrity, they're loyal, they're confident, they demand accountability of themselves and of everyone else, and just look like Shula fit that perfectly. Yeah, great points in terms of like his maturity level and all that. And Shula was always on the competition committee, the rules committee. And I, I, in reading up on all the articles after Shula had passed, I saw an article somewhere out of, I think it was the Boston Herald or one of the New England area newspapers, a little bit upset with Don Shula because near the end there, he he called Bill Belichick Belichick, and he was upset with all these Spygate and Deflategate scandals and all that kind of thing. And so there was a couple shots at Don saying that was a little bit below his character to call out Bill Belichick and those kinds of things. Um, 
in the discussion about great coaches, you know, when you discuss like basketball, and I've heard the debate a lot of times, so Bobby Knight screamed at his players, but he won. Coach K, a little bit laid, more laid back than the Bobby Knight approach. So that that's why that whole debate of, well, what style works best? And like you just said, there's so many variables that can make a coach successful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and kind of what you're saying about uh, Bill Belichick versus Don Shula, it kind of makes me wonder if Belichick will ever really be in that conversation as much and i don't follow the nfl all that much so maybe this will happen maybe it already has happened but in the conversation compared to shula and some of the other greats and that that integrity piece kind of falls into it i know belichick kind of gets thrown into some of this maybe it's not his fault maybe it is his fault but i don't know of any situations where shula was ever even implicated in some things like that again could be because i'm not uh someone who's intimately familiar with the Dolphins and Shula and the history there, but I haven't heard anything negative, and that could be a difference in the, the era that we're in right now. Yeah, and that's a great point. And reading on some of the players' reactions to Shula's death, a lot of them were terrified if they showed up late for practice. They knew they would, one, right. usually have to pay a fine and start running. So yeah. they knew immediately as soon as something they did something wrong that Shula would make them pay and hold them accountable. <clears throat> yeah, accountability is huge. Moving on, and sports writer Jay Glazer has criticized Ben Roethlisberger for his off-season conditioning, which is something I never would have done as a sports journalist. Jay Glazer said, first of all, let's not put the words fitness and Ben Roethlisberger together. They are allergic to each other. He said there's no fitness in Ben Roethlisberger. His idea of a great off-season workout program is doing one yoga session, playing golf, and drinking some beer. However, guess what Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger have done there has been incredible. Let me ask, what expectations are there for an athlete of Ben Roethlisberger's size, 6'5", his age 38, who had elbow surgery on his throwing arm? How do you ease a guy with all that going on back into the rigors of playing NFL quarterback? Yeah, I mean, you reverse 6'5", and that's pretty much my height, so I'm not sure exactly what sort of demands would be on a body that's 6'5", and at age 38, uh, as a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, so that that side of it's a little hard. I can imagine it's very hard. Uh, I mean, at, at 38, he's already well past where most people end their NFL career. Um, and I see elbow surgery. I'm thinking, well, that, that might be fairly similar to pitchers in the MLB uh, having Tommy John surgery or, or something like that. Can't be easy. Uh it, it's in his throwing arm. Roethlisberger's already not a mobile quarterback, so now you're already taking away a little bit of the one element of his game. Uh, so I, I can see it being really hard to come back. Uh, I don't know what sort of expectations there would be of him, but I, I do find it a little odd that that sports writer would be critiquing his conditioning. Uh, and again, at part of that, to me, it's just, that's not really his game anyway. So does it really matter? I mean, sure, you want him to be in good shape, or at least reasonable shape, but he's not uh, I don't know, hes not trying to play a Michael Vick type of game. 
uh, he's not uh, he's not playing center field, right? Like people criticize Bartolo Colon a little bit for his fitness, but he's a pitcher. <laughs> he doesn't have that much movement to do. See the same thing uh, in basketball as well. Uh, people criticizing the physique of centers. Yep, they got to get up and down the court, but you know, uh, speed and agility maybe a little less of a paramount part of their game. Yeah, there are so many things, I think, with this particular situation with Ben Roethlisberger that come to mind. I think, one, 38 years old, age would be a concern. And from everything I've read and watched football games over the years, a quarterback, from the time they get the snap to having to deliver the football, you're talking about maybe three seconds, three and a half seconds max. They have to make a decision, read, and throw the football. So my question is, that's a lot of fast mental processing. And for a guy who sat out the entire last season and all of a sudden is now just getting back to throwing the football, mentally, (laughs) psychologically, how do you speed up the brain and get that back to game shape? Yeah, I mean, he can do all that without being physically in shape at all. I mean, you watch film, he can see plays that he's been in before or uh, things that other teams are doing. Film is a piece of that, but just working on the imagery side of it as well. He's lived this for decades of his life. He has so many reps that he can just go through in his head, close your eyes, run through a situation, hit pause, maybe wind it back a little bit, maybe slow it down, see it from different angles. He can probably run through an entire game in his head and he knows the timing of all that. He knows how many steps he can go back, how to read different defenses, uh, look at the flow, uh, change his focus from uh, a broad focus to analyze the defense to a narrow focus to find a target. Uh, he's probably got all of those tools, and I would be shocked if he's not using them during the offseason to keep mentally sharp, especially knowing that physically he can't do some things right now following a surgery. You, you make me... Th- trigger a thought or a question about something else when I was watching some Steelers games last fall and he would be on the sidelines he would wear the headset and sometimes he would actually signal in plays or you know call out things how different or maybe how advantageous is that for a quarterback who's injured to be on the sideline and see things from a different perspective as they recover what kinds of positives are there for an athlete as they recover to kind of see the game from a different level yeah, it's huge. Uh, just taking everything, every situation that is kind of thrown your way and seeing how you can grow through it, how it can make you a little bit better is perfect. So for him to be on the sideline, the vantage point he doesn't get too often. So he can see, well, what sort of play are we running? What sort of defense are they running? What's it look like from this angle? And that information can then help him out once he gets back onto the field, whenever that is. Have you? Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, have you had that happen? Like when you worked with point guards who might not see quite a situation develop on the court, and then when you have them on the sideline, you could say, "Hey, see how this person set a pick or whatever." Is that kind of similar? Yeah, um, pretty similar. I haven't necessarily had that happen with injuries as much as just you know, this is your role right now. You're you're not on the court yet, uh, but with injured athletes, even they can be on the sideline. Maybe they're tracking plays that we run or plays that the other team is running and just following along with, okay, this sort of play is really causing trouble for us. 
what can we adjust or how can I help the team see this using my information from the sideline? Uh, just trying to have that full picture of information. All righty. Sounds good. Andrew, anything else to add? I think I, well, maybe one last thing to pitch in here. I did read about Kevin Love, who's been very open about mental health issues. And yesterday, I guess he gave some advice for people battling with the pandemic. And I think I saw where the Cavaliers are going to reopen the practice facility soon. But he told USA Today Sports recently that the unknown in terms of the coronavirus and how to deal with social, social situations is scaring people. And so Kevin Love, who's dealt with depression and some other issues, he's talked about the importance of meditation, really grounding himself at night, taking some time to mentally wind down. And so pretty cool of Kevin Love to talk about what's been successful for him in dealing with some of the uncertainty during these times. And I think just a great move for him just to kind of share his uh, coping strategies. Yeah, and as one of the first professional athletes to really openly talk about mental health, it's great to see him staying in that role and staying as a leader in that area and talking about what sort of coping strategies have been working for him. It's not going to work for everyone, but it's an option, and it may push people to talk about what works for them or at least to explore some new options uh, try to make sure we're coping effectively with this. So the only thing that I would add is that this is a time to, so just thinking back to that Roethlisberger conversation, this is a great time to work on mental skills. We can't have training the way we typically would. You can't really be with your team right now. So what can you do? You can work on individual skills and you can work on the mental side of the game while you can't actively compete. Sounds great, Andrew. Anything else before we shut it down today? No, I don't think so. I think uh, we covered the ground. Great. We'll see you in two weeks. Sounds good. See you. Thanks, everyone.